You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. I want to ask if you've got a copy of God's Word to turn to Psalm chapter 133. Um, while tonight's not going to be a very deep Bible study, I didn't tell you to bring one, but, uh, but you just follow along. It's a short one, so I'm going to read a couple verses from it. And then going to talk about some of the things that are going on uh, in the state of the Southern Baptist Convention, and uh, I hopefully we're going to this be informative and encouraging for you, uh, but also maybe kind of give a little bit of wisdom of some of the stuff that's been going on through. So in Psalm 133, uh, it says, um, "Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in what unity, unity right?" Um, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Now, when I give that psalm to you tonight, um, one of the things that's very interesting is that when you think about oil running down on the head, it's not like a typical, like, oh, that sounds awesome feeling to me, okay, right? That sounds dirty and gross. But if you know this, that actually back in the day when, when shepherds would anoint, they'd actually anoint their sheep with oil. Did you know that? And the oil would run, run down on the sheep's head and get like in the crevices, the nose and the ears and whatnot. And the oil kind of produced uh, this kind of layer to which the invading insects that could do damage would be stopped. So that outside influences would not come in and literally there are these kind of insects in that area would kind of bore holes in certain areas in the brain of these sheep and basically kill them. And so the anointing of the oil actually protects them from outside influence. And so what's interesting is about this kind of anointing of the oil is almost like let's protect this body from outside external negative influences that can come inside and mess things up. It says, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity, right? Now, now here's the thing about unity. Um, it's not uniformity, you know, you know the difference? Uniformity is we're all alike. We all say the same thing, do the same thing. We have no disagreeing opinions whatsoever. That's, that's uniformity. Unity is not we're all alike, but we all get on the same page, if that makes sense. right? We're, we're going in the same direction. So when we come to unity, what is so key, um, thought about it this morning. That so, so, for example, I can tune a guitar, and if, if you've ever tried to tune a guitar, a regular guitar, there's six strings, and you can say that the strings go like this, E, A, D, G, B, E. If you knew that, awesome. If you're not, like, what in the world are you talking about? Here's what the deal. You can tune that second string, that A string, by your E string. So you just go to the fifth fret, and you just hit that, pluck that little note, and go, okay, that should be what that second string sounds like. And you keep tuning every subsequent string based on that lowest string or that, that top string, right? Make sense? Perfect. Okay. So you tune all these strings according to the first string, but what if the first string is out of tune? Then the whole guitar is out of tune. And it may sound okay by itself, but when you put it together in a group and everybody strikes the same chord at the same time, they're not striking the same chord. They're just a little bit off, and if you've ever been around somebody who's just a little bit off in music, it's painful, okay? It's, not, it's better to be way off in left field than just close enough and whatnot. And so the reason why I say that is a lot of times what I believe is happening throughout church history is that people are tuning according to something, but they're not tuning towards the standard. 
So like I can take an outside influence like a piano or like an actual electronic tuner and say, what is the, the E string I'm looking for? And he goes, that's, that's the note right there. Then I can tune everything else from it. But if I have a bad starting point, then all the other strings will be off. And I think within church history and even what's going on today uh, within uh, our kind of association denomination of churches, that there's a lot of people that are tuning, and they're tuning according to something they have inherent, that string they've got, but what's happening is they're not tuning according to a standard. They're not tuning according to God's word, and that's where you get off, right? They, they start tuning towards this cultural agenda or this political group or this tradition, and then everything just sounds off, and it doesn't sound unified because we all are in a different spot. Now, with that being said, this is where I want us to, t- to talk about uh, the state of the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, so we just had a... Um, Church uh, member, new, new members kind of group this afternoon. Eight people there, unless I completely royally botched something, which is a possibility. We got eight new members today. That's awesome. And out of those four families, two of them came up to me and said this. So what does it mean that we're a Southern Baptist church? Because all I know is about what's going on in the news. And they, they asked me this question. It was a wonderful question. They said, what's the advantage of being a part of the Southern Baptist Convention? That's a good question, right? Now, some of you are Southern Baptists born and raised on the Baptist playground all of your days. You have been living that life, right? Some of you are like, I didn't know we were one, and what does that mean for us? And you just hear kind of the bad things. I typically say this. Um, I would probably agree with 98% of what's going on in Southern Baptist Convention right now, but we have a couple of crazy uncles with Twitter accounts that make us sound like we're just completely out, off in left field. And that's really what's happening right now. But I want to walk through to make sure you understand kind of where we are. To start with, I want to start with something so exciting called the Rocky Creek Bylaws. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? You're all excited? You're like, oh my goodness. Okay. Um, that's right. That's right. We're going to need some coffee. I'm going to move through this quick. You see there in your notes, I'm going to read this section from the opening words of our bylaws. It says, this body of believers shall be known as Rocky Creek Baptist Church of Greenville, South Carolina. It is incorporated as a nonprofit corporation under the laws of the state of South Carolina. It is an what? Autonomous, autonomous which means this, self-governing. Okay? We're in an autonomous, we'll talk about that in a second, an autonomous Great Commission Baptist Church affiliated with the Greenville Baptist Association, the South Carolina Baptist Convention, and the Southern Baptist Convention. Did you know we were in all those layers of Baptists? That's a lot of Baptists. Rocky Creek Baptist Church was first organized on December 28, 1833. How many of y'all were here for that, by the way? Okay, thank you, Dolly. Okay, we got that. Um, <laughs> constituted on February 1st, 1834, and joined the Tiger River Association in October 1834. We're getting close to our bicentennial celebration, right? We are making plans right now. We're going to have a party. Okay, um, but this is kind of, and the reason why I, I bring all that to you is, first and foremost, why Baptist? Well, what, what is the difference between Baptist denominations and others? There's a lot of differences, but let me at least say it this way. We are a p- confessional people who believe in the importance of individual what? Conversion. Why Baptist? Why are we uh, specifically Baptist? And one of the differences is, um, in fact, I, I, there's sometimes I feel like Baptist is not a great term for our, our denomination, right? Because it's like, what's well, just this event, Right? It's a one-time event. So four people baptized at the 10:30 service. Okay, that's an event, but that's not all it is. But why do we call ourselves Baptists? Because Baptists were born out of a need to say, "This is not something your parents have decided from you. 
This is something you have decided to follow Jesus and you're unashamed to go into the waters and tell everybody, I belong to Christ and I belong to a local church. It's a confessional kind of deal. Yes, sir. Yep. That is not all the bylaws. Correct. That's just the opening that, section. That is just a statement. Correct. That is the opening statement of them, right? Is the, the introductory remarks to say, this is who we are, this is who we're aligned with, and then here comes all of those bylaws as a result of it. But I want to show those key words. I want to show you the key words, like, because first off, why are we Baptist versus Presbyterian versus Methodist versus non denominational, which is actually a denomination, right? So, yes, sir. I've been a Baptist all my life. Yep. So no, not everybody else, but there would be a, some denominations that would say this is going to be. We won't go too in deep dive in this, but um, uh, difference between pedo baptism and credo baptism. You may ever heard that before, Travis? Thank you. Okay, um, pedo baptism uh, is we are baptizing infants. We are bringing them into the family of faith. Their families have done this at birth, and so what? One of the biggest issues we have when somebody wants to join this church is. Uh, my parents baptized me when I was an infant. Why do I have to be baptized now to be a part of your church? Because we want this to be your decision, not their decision. Make sense? So the reason why I'm going through that introductory thing, the bylaws, the reason why we're talking about that is there are some denominations who would say, well, you're kind of in the family, so you're kind of in the whole thing, right? We go, no, you can grow up in the family. doesn't mean that you're a Christian. You need to make your professional uh, association. So with this, we're a confessional people. We believe in, in confessing certain things, but we believe in the importance of individual conversion. That's where we're at, is that people actually make a decision. We believe in the gospel, that there's a heart change that takes place. The other phrase, the other word I want to highlight in that opening section is, why autonomous? We are a self-governing people who reserve the right to align or disassociate with any person or group adversarial to scriptural beliefs or behaviors. So that word autonomous means self-governing. This is different than other denominations. Because if you're not aware, some churches or the people in their churches are now in a big decision of, are we going to ordain these types of people? Are we going to marry these types of people? Are we going to be part of this cultural agenda? And if they don't go in line where the denomination goes, guess what? They lose the building. Because it's a top-down organizational structure. They lose the building. They don't have the rights to it. Doors closed. Somebody else is going to be in there. So even if you, whatever, they, they, and so some denominations also appoint the pastors. This is your pastor for the next two years. You guys are getting this. We're, so Baptists are very different. We are kind of our little rogues. We just do our own thing, right? We are aligned, and autonomy is a wonderful blessing, but it's kind of caught us in a little bit of a pickle recently on all of the issues that I'm about to describe to you. You know why? Because we've kind of said, our business, not your business, and we don't have to worry about what the church is doing down the street until an issue of sexual abuse comes up. Until an issue comes about, well, can a, can a church ordain women as pastors or not? Those types of the issues that are coming up. And so autonomy says we can do what we want to do, but now how do we know we're in the same tent? Does that make sense? That, that's the, the, the conversation that's going on. So we are self-governing. If you continue on in our bylaws, what it says we are under the authority of Jesus, the leadership of our pastors, the service of our deacons, the ministry of our members. That's how we are self-governed. There's accountability in all types of different structures with that. Now, why would we associate in the first place? This is the question I got this afternoon. I believe we can do more for the Great Commission when aligned with like-minded churches and organizations. We can go, if you will, further faster 
uh, with uh, being aligned with like-minded churches and organizations. Um, it's one thing, can, all right, could our church find an unreached people group and fully support somebody on the mission field? Sure, we could do that. Is it a lot easier if we have people who do that every single day through the International Mission Board? You better believe it is. You know that they've got the International Mission Board. We've got missionaries in this church that, uh, is, is it Bob? Is that Bob? Is that call, the emergency call? Bob, okay. So when you're a missionary on the International Mission Board, if there's ever a crisis, there's a guy that you call any hour of the day, any hour of the night, it's, it's Bob. That's your Bob. You call Bob, he's going to get you out of trouble. We don't have a Bob, okay? Our church does not have a Bob. If somebody called me on the mission field and said, terrorists are coming in, what do I do? I'm be like, I don't know. Okay, like, what do you do? Bob's going to say, we got somebody coming in right now. You're going to go do this. This is the change in your path. I mean, like, they, they go in. We can't do that as a church, right? So we allow the International Mission Board. you got people that are doing that. Now, now, what took place, though, over the last 50 years is, oh, the International Mission Board sends the missionaries. Churches don't have to do it. What do we do? Just send money to it. Incorrect. What the International Mission Board was supposed to be doing was helping churches send people to the mission field. But along the way, we passed the baton and kind of got out of the situation, right? Same thing with seminaries, same, all, all kinds of stuff as we'll get into. Um, so now, what are, you see in, in that introductory statement there in the bylaws, what are Great Commission Baptists? We are confessional and convictional Southern Baptists with a desire to signify what type of people we are and what we are not. You will hear certain things in the news, and even when we'll talk, that the Great Commission Baptists and Southern Baptists are the same group of people. And a few years ago, at a gathered meeting, the Southern Baptist Convention convened and realized this. The Southern Baptist title is not the best title for two reasons, okay? Reason number one, are Southern Baptist churches only reserved to the South? No. It's not good to be called, was it started in the South? Yes. But there are churches in the North, in the West, all over the place that are a part of our tribe under the Southern Baptist term. So that's not the best adjective that you want on the front end of it. The second reason it's not a very helpful name is the Southern Baptist Convention was created in the 1800s due to one issue that there were certain Baptists in the United States that were allowing slaveholders to also be missionaries and people in the North thought that slavery was inhumane and sinful and unbiblical and so therefore there was a division of i don't think you can be a missionary and a slaveholder at the same time and therefore the southern baptist convention was born so that we could send missionaries and keep slaves now do you understand why that might not be the best designator for what we do now okay so a task force was made what do we want to call ourselves and they came up with great commission baptist Let's just call ourselves Great Commission Baptist. And people said, ah, you can't legally, to Rick's point earlier, when a bylaw is set, you can't change your name in the actual bylaws. You are constituted as an entity. You can't just change it midstream. But you can have an alternative designator. And so they kind of said, you can call yourself Great Commission Baptist if that's a hard thing, or you can call yourself Southern Baptist. And that's kind of the tension. So if you hear those two groups, it's one and the same group. But there are some, especially in the north or the west or different places, who want to distance themselves from, I'll be honest, a not-so-good beginning, right? That that's why it's, it's called those things. Now, a convention uh, overview for us really quick. Uh, this is uh, written together. Uh, this is actually from the Southern Baptist Convention website. Yes, sir. No, there's not a process to change the whole name. It's a process that basically says this. If you go to sbc.net, it will say this. 
You can call yourself a Southern Baptist Church or a Great Commission Baptist Church. We all on the same team. It's the same convention. They're not going. They said that there was going to be like millions of dollars we'd have to spend in changing letterheads. It's not worth it. Let's not do it. To that end, though, a lot of church plants who are starting are going to say we're a Great Commission Baptist Church. You know that kind of thing. And so with that, you'll hear me use both language because some people hear one thing, some people hear different. But it's not a different of a full-on scale change the name, but it is an alternative designator, if you will. So if you look at this next little paragraph here, it says that the, this is from their website, the Southern Baptist Convention is a fellowship of over 47,000 Baptist churches scattered across the United States and its territories. These congregations comprised of numerous racial, ethnic, language, and socioeconomic people groups are called cooperating churches. They have organized themselves to accomplish a specific set of missions and ministry initiatives, all for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people of everywhere. Now, I'm going to give you some stats. That was around 2020. There's been a couple things that have happened in our life that might skew those stats a little bit, but this is kind of 2020 for this. So if you look, cooperating churches, there are 47,592 churches that identify with this group of cooperating churches. 47,592. Some of them, um, once again, are uh, the first Baptist here, first Baptist there, the second Baptist here, second Baptist there, two churches that are also associated that you would know more like um, uh, Saddleback Church, Elevation Church, New Spring Church. All of these are part of the Baptist Convention that are associated at some level. Uh, but they may or may not really to continue to be a part of it. You got to give about $5 a year to the overall uh, cooperative program. So some churches are really big and don't sort of stay in the tent and say that they are that and don't support a lot, but there's actually more Southern Baptist churches than you can potentially even imagine out there. that don't even call themselves that. So even some of the churches in our area that would be identified as, oh, aren't they non-denominational? They're Baptist just shh, because of all the issues that we're talking about. So with this, there is actually the total membership in the SBC network of churches is 14,089,947 people, which I, I did some math there. That's 296 members per church. And at Rocky Creek, as of before this afternoon, we have 903 members in our church. Just giving you kind of a kind of benchmark where you're looking at. So if you look at 47,000 churches, 14 million members, that's an average of 296 members per church, which is 903 members here, which some people would look at. You've heard churches, like I just mentioned, like a Saddleback. You go, I didn't know they were a Baptist church. Man, isn't that a big church? Now you think about, I don't know what they have, 26, 27,000 members of that church or something like that. Now you think about that, what that does to an average, and we're still at 296. There's a lot of people in membership of like what we found at Tigerville, nine people. You know, it's down to that. So Rocky Creek, obviously, as far as that goes, just want to give you perspective of, of where we are. Uh, weekly worship attendance is 4,439,000 people in worship, which brings you to an average of 93 per church. 93 worship attenders per church in the average. Uh, at least through this year, incorporating our summer months, we're about 671 people a week on an average uh, at Rocky Creek. Just to give you kind of where we are, where all that sits. So once again, you don't have to put all this stuff down, but it's just more to give you an understanding because um, a lot of people will come to our church and think, this church is so big. And some people go, this church is so small. It's all comparison, right? What have you been used to? Where have you been a part of? And I want you to kind of see where we are in the midst of this. Um, with that, 
Total baptisms recorded by Southern Baptist churches last year were 123,160, which brings you up to about four per church. In Rocky Creek in the last 12 months, we've had the privilege of baptizing 70 people, which is just an incredible testimony to God's grace and his goodness here. Uh, but it's pretty remarkable if we look at, I think we're, we're almost at 50 this year, and if we look at the last quarters, two of last year, we were about 20-something, so we're at 70 for the last 12 months. But the average church is baptizing four people, taking into account a church that's baptizing like us 70 and a 27,000 member who's baptizing who knows what. You also see that some churches have not baptized people for 30 years, literally. Like there are some churches who have not seen a baptism in decades. And this is the Southern Baptist Convention, okay? All the wealth of it, right? Cooperating state conventions is 41. Uh, there's 50 states there. You go, wait a minute, are we missing out on some? Some states that are smaller kind of cooperate and do things together. The cooperating local associations is 1,114. That's like a Greenville Baptist Association. So we're multi-layered. So we got people associated with it, the GBA, the SCBC, and the SBC, and all this stuff. It's kind of hard to get your mind around it, but that's where that comes from. Um, then, uh, all right, some of you may know, obviously know this, but some of you may not. The cooperative program is something that all churches can give to that helps fund all of these organizations, help fund the International Mission Board, North American Mission Board, seminaries and whatnot. The Southern Baptist Convention would say, you know, it'd be great if you guys would give like 10%, make a tithe to the denomination. That'd be awesome, right? Um, that is rarely done. Uh, if you look at it, the average percentage given to cooperative program is 4.78% of their receipts to the Baptist Convention. Rocky Creek gives 9% currently, so that's awesome and wonderful, and we get to do that. Uh, but there are some people who think we need to give less, and some people might think we need to give more. But if you look at what the average is, what they ask for, once again, average church gives about 4.78%, but the amount of what it actually accumulates uh, is just a remarkable amount to fund Great Commission efforts. Now, let's talk about organizations really quick. Um, how many of you knew we had an executive committee? Say Some of you are like, yeah, they're the ones that made the news, right? Okay, here's what happens at the executive committee. Uh, it exists to carry out the work of the convention for the sake of the Great Commission when messengers are not gathered in session. What that means is this. All these state associations nominate certain people to represent South Carolina, North Carolina, whatnot, and they sit on the executive committee, which means this. In June, when there are... 15,000 messengers from all different churches from all over can convene in Anaheim, California, and they vote on certain things and hear certain things and go for certain things. Then when that convention is dispersed, who makes the call on what to do? You know, okay, we, we all voted that we need to create this. Who's going to pull it off? That's where it relays on the executive committee. So there's a staff in Nashville who that's their job. But they are really responsible to this executive committee that is made up of messengers that's made up of churches like ours. Following? Good? Awesome, because that's about as much as I understand of it. No. Um, but they kind of, they kind of convene a lot of the business when they're not in place. All right, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission exists to equip churches to handle cultural issues. They are there to help you think through abortion. They're there to think about sanctity of life. They're there to think about homosexuality and all the different things and help to kind of create resources, events, and networks so that we can classify and know how to walk as a church. Um, Guidestone Financial Resources helps churches with retirement, insurance, and other risk management programs. What that's about is how, how do Baptist pastors get retirement? Guidestone is this big organization put together by uh, the convention to do that. 
The International Mission Board helps churches take the gospel to the unevangelized world outside of the United States and Canada. So we've got thousands of missionaries on the ground and unreached people groups all over the world, and the International Mission Board does that outside of the United States and Canada. Lifeway Christian Resources uh, used to be called, what was it, the Sunday School Board? Was that it? Back in the day? Sunday School Board, right? It's Lifeway Christian Resources serves churches by creating content and resources for ministry. So the gospel project that we use is put on by Lifeway. A lot of the Bible studies that might be bound together or different events comes from Lifeway. They are a publishing group uh, of the Southern Baptist Convention. North American Mission Board mobilizes churches for evangelism and church planning in North America. So they kind of do the work of what the IMB does. But they do it in the United States, and they really focus on church planning the last few years. Then we've got six seminaries prepare men and women for vocational Christian ministry. I should have like had a little survey to see if you could know all of them, right? Gateway over in California, Midwestern, which is kind of in the Midwest, okay? Uh, New Orleans, uh, Southeastern, does anybody know where that's at? Wake Forest. at? Wake Forest, North Carolina. Southern is in Louisville, Kentucky, but originally from... Greenville, South Carolina. So if you go down and see Boyce uh, and um, what are some of the other, Abrotus, all these different roads downtown, all these Baptist leaders who also started Furman started the Southern Baptist Seminary, the first seminary, but then they moved up to Louisville and we're really upset by them. Okay, and then there's Southwestern Fort Worth, Texas. And if you are a conservative trained Baptist pastor who's in his 50s, 60s, or 70s, you got your degree at Southwestern. Because back in the 80s, when all six, all, almost the other five seminaries were very liberal, Southwestern was hanging on for their bare life at that time. So if you find anybody in their 60s or so, they went to Southwestern if they came out conservative. okay, Or they just went through the fires and made it out on the other side. Um, and then we have the, the WMU is an auxiliary organization to help implement mission strategy, women missionary organization there that, that does that. All right? All good? All educated? Yes, sir. Question? Okay, great. So what happens is when we are participating in this, we give 9% of everything that comes uh, through gifts here automatically to the cooperative program. What happens is that goes through a funnel to the executive committee that funds an international mission board, North American mission board, all these different seminaries. So Southern Baptist Seminaries is about, is about the best theological education and also the cheapest theological education that you can find missionaries don't have to raise support to go on the mission field like other missionaries have to. So some have to raise money forever. You're a missionary through the IMB. Every fund is taken care of, and you've got Bob on the line, right? Church planning, you don't have to raise support. You've got a certain amount of funds that go through it. So what happens is we get to be a part of stuff happening all over the world through that. In addition, we meet at the Greenville Baptist level, the South Carolina level, and then also at the national level. So, so that could be any messengers from our church. So, so it, in fact, we do participate, yes. So at these events, we can take so many members based upon how much we give. That makes sense, okay? Voting members. So you can go to a certain thing. So like in, in November, there's a South Carolina Baptist Convention meeting that will be taking place over two days, and you guys are more than welcome to come. And it is a two-day business meeting with some good spiritual stuff in the middle of it. But it is a two-day business meeting. Yes, sir. Yes. And also the election of um, messengers. Well, yep. I don't know. Great question. Ever yep. Messengers. Great question. 
So what, typically you're right, we've never really done that. It's never been a thing of it. In fact, uh, last year was the first year in my entire life I've ever been to the annual meeting of the whole Southern Baptist Convention because I just always thought, it's a lot of just nonsense, don't want to be a part of it. And last year was big enough that I thought I need to be there because I thought there were some things that were changing that I at least need to come back to you. Uh, this year I couldn't go uh, because I, uh, I'd already signed up to speak for Lifeways Huge Camp at Ridgecrest Baptist Conference Center. Okay, so like we couldn't go. But so what we do now is that anybody can go, but a church has allotted certain amount of people that can go and be messengers. So what we're trying to do is a better job of saying when the state comes, when the association comes. So we actually have people in our church members uh, Brett has served, Tim has served at the Greenville Baptist Association level. We've had people in our church that have served at the South Carolina Baptist Convention level, and we also have people working at some areas in that. So our goal is to kind of look at a better way to say, how many messengers can we take who either is eager and excited or wants to be a glutton for punishment or whatever, because we do kind of want to be represented. So this year, we had two members at the National Convention in Anaheim that were not me. Um, one is Chris Emery who works for Godstone. Uh, one is Greg Queen, who works for the International Mission Board. And we have a third member who was going to be there but can't, David Jackson, who works for the North American Mission Board. If you didn't know that, we have three members here who work in three of these organizations that are li listed on this. So for us, though, there's a level of how many that we can take and wanting to be at a healthy level involved. Does that make sense? That's a great question. I think we can... It, it's 10 if you get to a certain place, like 10 is the max that any church can do. And so... $250. That's right. You went to how many of your childhood? Remind me again. About 25. 25. Okay. So he is, he's the, uh, the born and raised and went through that. So it's about 10 people, the max. And so that is one thing that like, uh, with that, um, certain times, especially next year is supposed to be in Charlotte, but because they think there's gonna be so many people, they had to move it to new Orleans because the Charlotte convention center could not contain all the people there. So things move around and that kind of thing, which is hard to get to. So an idea of an agenda. Yeah. We're going to, yeah, so it can be a little chaotic. So what happens at these things, you can live stream the whole thing and watch the popcorn or take roll aids or whatever you need to do. But there's an agenda. Hey, this is the time the International Mission Board is going to take, do their presentation. they got 20 minutes in a two-day meeting, right? Here's 20 minutes. And then there's going to be six microphones on a floor of 15,000 people. If anybody's got a question for the president, they can step up to the microphone and say, hey, I heard such and such happen with the budget. Can you explain that? And you're on the spot. Why is this? Because even these people who are presidents of certain organizations, they will say this, they serve the churches. And the messengers are represented of the churches. And all the funds come together from the churches, if that makes sense. So it's just, they have an agenda. But a lot of times there's so much going on and so many random things that can take place that you, you have limited amount of discussion and limited amount of microphones. And it's just, there's just a lot. It's gotten so big now that sometimes you get to those issues. Now, I want us to talk about some of the current issues that are going on. Three main things, um, and, and kind of have to move through these. The first thing is something called the Conservative Baptist Network. Have any of you heard this terminology yet? Some of you maybe know, okay? The, the CBN, uh, not the CBF, that's something very, very different from the 80s, okay? But the, the CBN, um, it is a new organization, and then this quote comes from their website. Empowered to bring positive biblical solutions that strengthen the SBC in an effort to fulfill the Great Commission and influence culture. Okay, sounds good. Um, this is an organization that came together about two years ago in the midst of a lot of the culture wars that were going on. Um, 
The CBN was birthed, I would say, in 2020 when the organized church did not know what to do with Donald Trump. They did not know what to do with racial reconciliation. They did not agree on certain facets, and it was causing a lot of frustration among people. So you had people in the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission saying certain things, and then some people saying, we're not going to give and fund them anymore. We want you to fire this person because they're not doing this. And a lot of things kind of came out of that. The issue came about, and so a group came out, and it sounds like that it's a new, uh, they're starting a new denomination. But from their website, this is what they say. They claim not to be a new denomination. They claim not to be a blog or social media page existing solely to air grievances, which is kind of a funny way to start it out, right? We don't exist to be this. Uh, We're not a competitor with other like-minded ministries, and we're not a group exclusive to one soteriological view or another. That's just a fancy word of saying how we view salvation. Um, People joined the CBN, um, and I'll just be honest. The people that kind of started this used to be opposing views on soteriological issues. Some were very hard Calvinists. Some were very much Calvinism is the enemy and we need to get rid of it. And then two groups of people kind of came together and it really came together on some unifying issues that they thought more important than that. And it came down to what they thought was happening as far as the direction of the Southern Baptist Convention. So out of a growing concern of perceived drifts within the convention, they have committed to, from their website, plan strategically to make changes within the SBC. So there is a group within the Southern Baptist Convention that has called themselves the Cooperative Baptist, uh, sorry, Conservative Baptist Network. That is, we're not going to be a different denomination. We're not trying to steal everybody and go somewhere else. But we see problems, and we are trying to change it from within. And so, what's taken place over the last two years? For the first time in the history of the Southern Baptist Convention, you have a group endorsing candidates for president endorsing candidates for pastor's conference positions, endorsing candidates for certain things, and as a block saying, we support brother so-and-so because we believe he's the answer to what's going on here for the first time. So there's our, you know, at at the annual meeting, right? You got all these kind of stuff as a two-day meeting, and then all of a sudden you got this luncheon for just CBN folks, and they're kind of talking about how, hey, this is the agenda. Here's when you need to be in the room for voting and whatnot. And so some people would see this group as a very healthy um kind of watchdog what's going on and let's fix this and some people would see that they are picking the wrong enemy if they will that when i say perceived drift it is a perceived drift by some some think it's a whoo we're way out in left field and and some think it's in a bad bad spot let me explain what i mean by that last year at the meeting in nashville that i was at someone that is one of, one of the main members of the cbn stood up and said uh, asked the seminary president, are y'all teaching critical race theory in your seminary? Yes or no? The answer is yes. And they're, oh, you're teaching critical race theory? What do you mean? He goes, we're teaching it as a concept of which the gospel contradicts and refutes. But to be a pastor in this time, you have to know what it is. Even though most people don't know what CRT is, we debate it all the time, nobody can define it. We have to talk about wokeism, Right? You have to talk about CRT. You have to talk about white supremacy, but not saying we teach that as the right thing, but you have to know what's out there. Does that make sense? So I have to say that uh, I'm going to teach you about Hinduism to understand how to evangelize Hindus, right? Does that mean I'm saying Hinduism is the way? No. So the question is, we heard that somebody's teaching CRT at your seminary. 
Yeah, we are teaching about CRT and what the gospel says about it, but within that group, they are very confident that there is a liberal drift in the seminaries that's teaching a social gospel of which I'm not in a seminary classroom right now, but from what I can tell, it's not there. There may be, here's what is there, and this is what the problem is, stereotype, right? I try to say this succinctly, but also make sure we get it. Um, There is a difference in showing compassion to a minority culture or ethnicity, right? Versus saying that everything that has been done is wrong and this needs to be completely changed and we're going to teach this type of CRT. You, you see the difference here? One is I'm compassionate to someone who is, looks differently than me that may be in a, a hard situation in life and I'm going to show compassion to them because Jesus shows compassion to me and I'm going to be open all, but that doesn't mean that you have to buy into the cultural agenda. But the way that we work right now as a culture has infected the church because if you look like you show any type of compassion to anybody, you get put in this corner where you belong to all these types of people. Make sense? So in the same situation, when, when all the racial stuff was going on in 2020 and, and all the horrific shootings, you can say, right, there's difference. Y'all follow me. We said this last year. I want to make sure you hear me say this. There is a difference in the statement Black Lives Matter and the group Black Lives Matter. Does that make sense to you? There's a difference. The group is all about taking down ethnicities and hierarchical structures and saying that men are the problem and we need to get rid of the nuclear family. That's a problem. But when somebody is killed in a neighborhood and you show compassion to them and say, well, yeah, I hate that that happened and something needs to change, does not mean that you go along with CRT. Does that make sense? But what happened in our culture, because of things like Twitter, you show compassion to one thing, and you're put in this box. And the Southern Baptist Convention adapted that practice. If you show compassion, if you show concern, if you do anything that seems noteworthy to somebody who's not like you, you're lumped into the social gospel basket, and you're a, you're a Democrat, and you, don't, you, you hate babies, and all, all kind of, it just got out of control. If you show the, the minute sense of compassion. So within this, there are people within the CBN who deeply think we're getting polluted here on the inside, and we've got to take it back. And there are many people outside the CBN thinking, you guys are, it's a straw man argument. There's not these people out there. You're on a witch hunt, and they're not there. Now, there are concerns. We'll get to that. But let me explain something to this. So once again, blocks came together, which has never happened. At this last year's meeting, all candidates endorsed by the CBN at the annual meeting were defeated. So the person who was going for president of the Southern Baptist Convention uh, that was kind of put together by this group was not um, elected. There was somebody uh, that the, there's a thing called the pastors conference before the convention starts, right? Where basically there's preaching for a couple of days. And y'all are like, mm-hmm. okay, it's, it's, it's good for some people. Okay. Um, they, they're bringing all these preachers for a couple of days before or a day and a half before the actual conference starts, the convention starts. There's a pastors conference. There were people that were nominated to serve as president. The CBN nominated a guy who I think is one of the best preachers in the world named Bodie Bauckham. Uh, an African-American man, incredible man, a godly man, who is not a Southern Baptist, nor does he live in the United States, which really takes you out of the ability to do this work. But because of his notoriety, they kind of used to platform him to say, this is the guy that we need to get. And at the pastor's conference, it's always been that only pastors can vote for the next president. And there were people that were bringing in busloads of members, men, women, you name it, to vote for their certain candidate, and it got kind of out of control in there. 
because people were saying, no, 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 we're saying only pastors are supposed to vote for this, and people were just raising their hand going left and right. And so with this, I'll say, I think, because um, some of y'all are going to ask me afterwards, so I'll go ahead and tell you. Is the CBN a good thing, Travis? I'm not a member, okay? I'm not a member. And the reason is, I think they might have some um, concerns, and everybody's got a concern and has the right to go about it. I don't think that it's as big as they think it is, and I think they're going about the process the wrong way. And I think a lot of them are starting from a motivation that is not we're tuning to the biblical standard, but they're tuning to something else, if that makes sense. And, and so with that, they're starting from a different place, and uh, I think have a few different enemies on the place. Now, let's talk about an easy topic as well. Women pastors, okay? Um, let us pray. Okay, um, so here, here's the deal. Let me explain. This is kind of the big issue that happened this year. Uh, and the Baptist faith and message is kind of our document that says, hey, to be a Baptist, this is kind of what we all agree on. This is what it says. While both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by Scripture. This is within our confessional beliefs as Baptists. It's kind of the, this is kind of the, the tent, right? It doesn't say anything, but it does affirm both men and women are gifted for service. Office of pastor is limited to Scripture. You guys know Scripture teaches that the office of pastor is reserved for men in 1 Timothy 3.2. Titus 1.6. Some people say that was a cultural issue. Some people say, no, that's an ongoing issue. The issue comes down to this is in a situation like this, if you start saying in a cultural issue, hey, I think we've moved to a certain time and this is okay, then you open up your door to do that in a whole other ways, right? It, it creates a whole lot of aspect. I believe that Scripture does teach that a, hus uh, that a pastor should be a husband of one wife, right? It should be a, a male Leader is what what calls to it doesn't mean. Now, one of the things as a church we have to continually do is to elevate the role of women in this church. We are not downplaying or anything at all. But also, uh, as we go, what takes place is that last year, uh, right before the Nashville convention, something took place that got everybody's attention. Saddleback Church ordained three female pastors last year. And this year, Rick Warren attempted to defend their position in the convention. So right before last year's annual meeting in 2021, Rick Warren and Saddleback Church ordained three pa uh, women pastors. They had served in roles of the church. Their titles, ne their, their, their roles necessarily didn't change, but they did ordain these women as pastors. Um, so what took place was uh, it was asked from the floor last year. So are we disassociating them because they're going against the Baptist faith and message? And everybody goes, ah, oh, we'll get back to you on it. Well, get back to you on it next year. And if you don't resolve it that year, guess what? Keeps going back. So this year, uh, it was coming up. There's a group called the Credentials Committee. Um, they were not ready to make a decision um, on their ability to stay aligned or not. So they had done some homework on the situation, and they came back, and Rick Warren said, we believe that that scriptural position is only for the office of lead pastor and not just regular pastor. So we think it's okay to ordain women and an associate pastor role, but not a lead pastor role. The only problem is there's no lead pastor, associate pastor in scripture. There, there's not a youth pastor. There's not, I mean, there's none of those designate. Those are all things that we've created on our own, own initiative. And so with this, what took place is they kind of stepped back and punted. Rick Warren came over to the Anaheim convention and, uh, and, and gave a plea in about a five minute plea. If you are interested in it, I would encourage you. I almost played it for you, but I did not want to do so because it would create too much conversation tonight. But you can YouTube Rick Warren 
uh, SBC, and you will see his five to six minute appeal that he makes. And I'll just go ahead and summarize briefly what he says. This is probably my last Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting. I love you folks, and it means so much to me to be a Southern Baptist. You know what? You're here in this city, and you know there's about 100 churches here. We've planted about 80 of them. In fact, I've personally um, trained more uh, pastors than all of these seminaries combined in my life. And we've sent out these many people and this many things and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And therefore, I think the argument he was making is, folks, we're working. And if you kick us out, you're going to miss something. Um, I'm not going to tell you if it came across as humble or arrogant. You need to watch it and decide. Um, but it definitely had a unique vibe to it of... Um, of where it came across, but because of the issue that people were wrestling with, give you an example. Some Southern Baptist churches have no problem calling a female a children's minister, but they would not call her a children's pastor. Some of you would say minister and pastor are synonymous, right? In some circles they are, in some circles they're not. A minister is someone who's ministering to people, caring for people, pastoring is a shepherd, an overseer, and so it's a different term. So this issue is coming down. So with this, um, there are some that are saying Saddleback needs to be kicked out and needs to be kicked out right now because they're doing something horrific. And they're also the ones who brought the women in to make a vote at the pastor's conference. And so there's a lot of uniqueness to some of the stuff that's going on here, right? So, so within this, this is an ongoing discussion that was not resolved this time around. They felt like that they needed to. And so even seminary presidents were trying to kind of configure how they need to say these certain things in this time that is an ongoing issue. Now, the biggest one at hand that's probably made the news more than anything is the Sexual Abuse Task Force. Um, let me walk through this really quick. Um, in 2019, an article in the Houston Chronicle published an article with 700 sexual abuse victims within Southern Baptist churches and organizations over the last 20 years. Last year, I discussed this with uh, this church. Um, Houston Chronicle put it out over 700 sexual abuse victims within the churches over the last 20 years. I had someone in a closed meeting say this. Well, they only found 720 years with all these churches. That's not too bad. Or one is horrific. One is horrific. It should have never happened. And we need to do everything to make sure it never, ever happens again. Right? Now, I understand what they're saying. 47,000 churches, 20 years. This, this is all was discovered, okay? It's not all that's there. This is all that was reported and was known about. Now, in 2021, last year, then-President Ed Litton, a pastor once again elected as president to serve as a one- or two-year term, he appointed a sexual abuse task force to address ongoing concerns. The chairman of that committee is Bruce Frank, the pastor of Biltmore Baptist Church, um, up in Asheville. Uh, the vice chair was Marshall Blaylock, pastor at First Baptist Charleston, who was a wonderful man of God, and I just felt so good knowing he was in that position, kind of steering this through. So that group gathered together and said, we need to evaluate the claims and to see what's going on. In 2022, they provided the report from Guidepost Solutions investigating the previous 20 years. So right before the annual meeting, a 400-page document came out from an independent organization called Guidepost to help us figure out what's taking place for the 20 years. Now, as a way of reminder, last year in Nashville, the overwhelming majority of messengers said, 
we want an independent third-party investigation into what has happened in our convention to make sure that if sexual abuse is taking place, that the people are taken um, responsible for it and it's handled, dealt with. The executive committee at that time, once the convention was dispersed, they got together and said, it's going to cause a financial liability for us of which you cannot imagine and got lawyers to come into the executive committee and, f and cause fear and panic to happen to where for the first time in the history of the Southern Baptist Convention, the executive committee voted to not do what the messengers had asked them to do. First time last year. So they got together after it said, we want this in investigated. And, and, and here's the deal. The executive committee said, we'll just have our people investigate it. That doesn't work, okay? You don't investigate yourself. You have to get somebody outside to investigate it. So last year at Nashville, I'm raising my ballot. Third party, independent investigation. Let's just deal with it. Let's get it out there, what it is. We all go home. That group convenes and says, we're not going to do it. Public backlash happens. They meet a second time. New set of lawyers come in. Closed session. There's a lot, because I know a few of the guys that are there, a lot of fear mongering took place. You'll be personally sued. We won't be able to send missionaries if you do this. Da, 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 da. You can't vote this way. Vote goes down again. Third time, they're going to get together, and there is a group of pastors uh, in this state that started a little bit of a push. And the push came down to this. Um, fine. If you don't want to do what we've asked you to do, we cannot support you anymore. We're going to support the International Mission Board, the North American Mission Board, but that office in Nashville that seems like they've got something to hide, we're done. And what happened as a group of pastors in South Carolina, it started trickling down to other states and all this pressure. And finally, it was so much so that they had a third vote and the executive committee decided to do what the 15,000 messengers had asked them to do months earlier. And the next couple weeks, people quit, resigned from their job in, this, in the Nashville office. And many people who were volunteer positions on the executive committee also dropped. Typically, when something like that happens, you know, oh, something's about to come out. And that's what took place. So this sexual abuse task force got together and they looked at all the agencies that could handle a case like this. They tried to get a Christian organization to handle this investigation. None of the Christian organizations felt like they were big enough or able to handle an investigation the scope of this size. So they went with the best organization that they found, Guidepost Solutions, not Guidestone that gives us insurance, by the way, okay? Different group, okay? Guidepost is a secular investigation agency that came in and started going through transcripts, emails, recorded calls, uh, interviews, you name it, to determine what was going on. And what happened as a result of that was uh, they came up with this 400-page document uh, that was delivered right before this year's annual meeting. Um, I've read everything in it. Uh, there's, in some ways, exactly what you feared were gonna, was going to be there, and there was also some shocking revelations that came out of it as well. In some ways, what took place from that... Now, let me tell you the other thing about this. Guidepost worked with the task force and said, we've got this huge staff. We're going to make sure everybody who works in your case is either Christian and if they can be Baptist, Baptist. So this huge secular organization said, for this case, we're going to put our best people on it. But if they're Christian and Baptist, we're going to try to get some of them on it. Right before the annual meeting, Guidepost Solutions and their Twitter account, when June hit, 
uh, posted a thing about gay pride and celebrating their workers because of LGBTQ plus stuff. And everybody goes, we hired a liberal organization. You see, here's the drift. Here we go again. And everybody wanted to throw out the investigation because a group tweeted out their support of LGBTQ plus thing. Now, here's the thing. Here's Pastor Chav's take on this. It's a shame that we need a third-party investigation in the first place. Okay? That's on us. Number two, if we've done the crime, the reality is this. When I call 911, I don't go, you got a Baptist over there you're going to bring over? Like, I, I want just somebody to help me out, right? And, and so with this, that, that's kind of taking place. That's going on in this. And, uh, and so it was a horrible timing. It was a tragic thing. And the Sexual Abuse Task Force said, we hate the fact that they do this and they promote this, but the reality is this. Nothing about that changes the report of the fact of this. We have been covering up sexual abusers in our churches for over 20 years now. That's the reality, and that's what needs to be addressed. And you can focus on this and, and look over the fact of here's our own stuff that needs to be addressed. Within the document, they reported on accused leaders, massive cover-up cover in a hidden database. Um. So when I say that, they reported on accused leaders. There are um, people within the Baptist Convention. There are pastors. There are seminary professors. There's ministry organization heads. Um, there was one, uh, one president of the whole Southern Baptist Convention that has just always been seen as kind of the model of integrity that had a, one of the most scathing things on there that he had been accused of sexual abuse of a, another woman. Uh, in this that had come on to her years ago and this came out this was sent shockwaves honestly I hate that, that was included not because it didn't even be addressed because that's what everybody was focused on versus all the other stuff that came in there when I say massive cover-up I mean massive cover-up um, people knew about people that were doing certain things and there's a good old boy system that covered and, and watched out for certain people and uh, there's so many evidences of something like this that would take place Someone would come to the leaders in a church and say, this happened to me. And they'd say, you don't want to ruin this church, do you? You ruin this ministry and this whole man's family. And you just got to deal with this carefully here. Well, he'll resign, but can we just sweep this under the rug? And it happened time and time and time again. As well, for years, people have requested from the floor of the Southern Baptist Convention, can we create a database of any pastor who has had credible accusation against him of being a sexual abuser and put him on a database. And we were told within lawyers hired by the executive committee for years, we couldn't do that. It was illegal to do that. There was no way to do that. What this report found out was not only is it legal, not only is it wise, they've had the database. They've been collecting names for years. They've just never been sharing it. So what's taken place is someone who got fired in South Carolina just moved to Alabama. And then somebody got fired in Alabama, just went over to Texas. And people have been repeat abusers in different states because we've never, the database has been there. It's actually been there by the people who kept saying you can't do it. It was there all along. And so at, before the annual meeting came out a list of here's a bunch of pastors we do know about. And um, some of them I know. And some of them I know about. They also set up something else to say if you ever know about anything, here comes how we're going to handle that. Now, let me give you the examples of what the task force came up with. They recommended to create a task force to address ongoing issues. You go, wait a minute. A task force created to create a task force? So there's this. What do we do with this deal and how to start off? They're saying, 
we need a group that handles the ongoing issues so that in three years from now, if First Baptist whatever calls and says this happens, there's a process that we go through. The second thing that they recommended doing was to formulate a database to keep track of credibly accused sexual abusers in churches and organizations. That is, there's already a form on the Southern Baptist website that if you hit that button, you can write an anonymous email and say this happened. Now, let me just go ahead and tell you this. Not everybody's name that gets an email is going to show up there, okay? It's credibly abused, okay? Credibly accusation or convicted or in some type of way. There's enough on the table that you know this is not just so-and-so said. This, this was enough here that this happened. This person was removed from whatever it is, and therefore we need to keep from it. And, and the reason why this is important is you need to know that if we were hiring such and such a pastor that we can check if that name's on the list, right? Makes sense to me. Um, from a federal government standpoint, if you're on a sexual abuse list, you're on that for life. A sexual offender list, right? You're, you're on it for life. And so, so with that, this kind of sets up that list of people. So there are some people whose names have been listed, and I imagine some interesting conversations are taking place. Also, I'll say this. There are some that are most likely thinking, oh, no, who's about to email on me? And a lot of that is, is starting to take place. Now, I say all that to go, now what does this mean for Rocky Creek, right? Um, we do what we can to try to avoid anything like this happening, right? There are things that we do here at our church to protect people from horrible situations. You can have the best systems in the world and still something bad can happen, right? Do a background check on somebody and guess what? There's always going to be a first time that they mess up. You can do all the systems in the world. And, but yet, what we want to do is as much as we can, to the fullest of our capability, do everything we can to protect our church family. That includes, we have an IRT. So there's a team on Sunday morning that's watching doors, looking for suspicious activity, that is trained by police to make sure you're safe on a Sunday. That might encourage you. That might really discourage you that we didn't have to have that conversation. I never took a class for it in seminary, but I know this. In these times, we have to have them. We have to have, we have, to have people that are thinking that way. We have a two-person policy in every room with people who deal with kids. Uh, why? Because we want two sets of eyes and nobody ever being alone with a child. You can be a member. I told our group that the eight people who joined this afternoon, you can sign up and you can serve anywhere next week other than anywhere that has to do with anybody 18 or younger. You cannot serve until you've been a member here for six months because I want eyes on you. That's, and people go, do we have the right to do that? I don't know, but I've made that call and no one has gotten upset with me yet, okay? Well, except one lady. She left and she yelled at me. And this is what she said. She came in and she goes, I want to help your vacation Bible school. I said, who are you? I've been visiting your church for two weeks. Congratulations. You can bring your grandkids, but you're not teaching these kids. I've taught vacation Bible school at my church all my life. Why aren't you at your church? Well, because something's going on in my church. Well, what is it? You know, and she, she said, she goes, I just can't believe you're not going to let me teach. I am gifted to teach. I said, you join the church, and you, can, and you can teach next year, but you cannot teach this year. How dare you do that to me? Accuse, I'm not accusing you of anything. You're making me suspicious right now. But I will say this. How would you feel if I took some dude off the street and said he can watch your two-year-old by himself and I've only known him for two days? you going to be okay with that? So, so with that, we do all these different policies. And in fact, in a few weeks at this time, we're going to talk really, get really specific about all the different things that we do. Um, from a safety standpoint, from a security standpoint, from a protection standpoint. And also realize this, folks. We just cannot play around with sin. 
Like, it just, for anything bad to happen anywhere is horrific, but it happened in a church where you want to be protected and loved and feel like these people are there. And, and to have the conversation I've had with my kids before, yeah, but everybody in church is safe, and I have to say, no, they're not. No, they're not. And that's heartbreaking to say, folks, but this is what sin does to us. Now, now to say all that, I know I've kept you way longer, so I'm going to pray. And then I know some of you are like, wait a minute, what about this? I'll hang around for questions, and if you keep me longer, you have to buy me a cheeseburger. But... I'm willing to walk with you through this. I will say at this level, I really do mean this. Um, Being more involved than I have been in the past, I'm more convinced we need to be involved than ever before. But I also want to shake some people to death right now, okay, if that makes sense. So in the middle of it, the the deal is this. Decisions are made by people who are in the room. Decisions are people who are willing to volunteer and get put on certain committees and whatnot. And while it is a lot of times I go, I don't have time for this. We don't want to get involved in this. If good people stand by and don't get involved, this stuff's going to hit off the rails here. And missionaries are too important for me. Church planners are too important for me. Getting the gospel out as far as we can is too important for me. So for us, we're involved. We're going to be getting more involved. And what I'm asking you to do is just continue to pray for us because I will say this. The moment that the hole goes off the rails from Scripture, we're out. We're out, okay? That's, that's just a, and I know that's the heart of this church, right? I know it's the heart of this church that if they didn't do the right thing last year, y'all are like, hey, we're out, okay? We're an autonomous church, but if it, our alignment with them helps get the gospel out further and faster, man, I'm for it. But the moment that it doesn't, we, we, we would step back and we reroute when we need to. So to that end, Father, how uh, beautiful it is, how blessed it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Help us tune ourselves to you. Help us to do what we can in our church, in the Greenville Association, in the state convention, and also the national convention to make sure we prioritize the gospel. And Lord, there is always a refining that needs to take place sometimes among your people, and you've never, ever stopped an embarrassment so much of happening in, in certain situations for the greater good. And so even if it seems like the Baptist reputation are tarnished, or if people see a bad rap on the people who follow you in the long end, if this is a refining time, we will take it. And those who belong to you will come out as gold through the fire. And so, Lord, for that end, we'll align ourselves with what you're doing and with people who are in the same path, and we'll continue to go forward until you come back. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.